Welcome to First Class Entrepreneurs and Leaders Podcast with your host, Marcus Cron. We interview business leaders who are first class in their industries. Whether you are an experienced entrepreneur or just getting started in your career, this podcast will inspire you and equip you with the knowledge necessary to have massive success in business. If you enjoy the show, make sure to subscribe and leave a five-star review wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey guys, Marcus Cron here. Welcome to First Class Entrepreneurs and Leaders Podcast. Today I'm joined by Cindy Radu, who is an experienced wealth advisor that deals with complex issues involved with advising very high net worth families to transition their family wealth. I'm excited to have her share her experience because it's such an important item to think ahead as entrepreneurs and business owners, not only how to build wealth, but also how to transition it and to transition it well to the next generation. So Cindy, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, I really appreciate you coming on and sharing your knowledge today. So I'm just going to give you a little bit of an intro before you you take it away. But a little bit about Cindy. She is a designated family enterprise advisor. She helps individuals, family enterprises, business owners, and family offices navigate the complexities and opportunities that come with wealth. Cindy draws on over 25 years of legal, fiduciary, trust, and governance experience in professional services firms, financial institutions, and family offices in her practice. She uses her skills to provide an objective perspective and facilitate understanding of how complex family, business, and ownership structures can impact family dynamics and family wealth continuity. So, Cindy, it's a really interesting and fascinating world that you're in. You've got a lot of experience and you pull from numerous different areas. So can you kind of dig into that a little bit, tell the audience a little bit more about yourself, your current focus, and maybe how you ended up here? Yeah, sure. It's certainly not everybody's path uh, in terms of careers. I started out as a chartered accountant and my first year of articling was with big oil and gas companies. And then I shifted to family businesses and I really enjoyed working with the family businesses but I didn't like accounting very much. No offense to any accountants on the (laughs) listening to the podcast. I left the CA firm and I didn't really know what I was going to do and somehow stumbled into law firm administration and then became the controller of what at the time was the largest law firm in Western Canada. And I did that for about five years and I just loved it. It was very um, interactive. You know, I got to work with people in a very, very different kind of way. About five years into that, I decided I was going to go back to law school. And specifically, I wanted to work in tax and estate planning. And I actually never did tax in my CA articles other than what was absolutely necessary. So I'm not quite sure how I got onto that. But when I got into law school, one of my professors was kind enough to take me under her wing and got me uh, co-authoring a book called Taxation and Estate Planning in Canada, which was the university, I think it still is, textbook for people studying this area of law. And it's used by practitioners across Canada. So it was a huge opportunity for me to really dig into this whole area of estates and estate planning, but in a really technical tax way. And so I practiced in that area for a number of years, both within accounting firms and law firms. 
And after I had my daughter in 2003, I decided I didn't want to go back into a billable hour environment. So again, those who practice in those professional services firms where it's kind of six minute increments, that just didn't seem conducive to having a type of balance that I wanted to have. So I ended up actually working with one of the large financial institutions, and they were starting to try to move into this broader space of, I'll just call, for now, we'll just call it family enterprise advisory work. And so that was really my first introduction to working very differently with families. And that just evolved over time as I found more opportunities that came to me and ultimately ended up in a family office setting and did a a lot more training during those years. So that was when I really started to shift into taking programs with the Institute of Corporate Directors around governance. I did do the Family Enterprise Advisor Designation Program in Canada, and I've been for, gosh, since the beginning of time, well over 20 years in Canada, a very active member of the Society of Trust and Estate Practitioners. And so they really focus, again, on this concept of advising families across generations. And so really, in a nutshell, taking all of that, what I found is really a huge missing link when working with families of wealth is trying to get them out of the technical, what people typically think of with estate planning, which is often people's minds will go to, oh, well, that means my wills and my powers of attorney or personal directives and maybe family trust. But they rarely actually understand these things and they even less so understand actually how they work. And so really what we're seeing now, in a, I'm in Alberta, is a ton of conflict as more people are transitioning wealth from generation to generation. And so the work that I do is really around helping families do that in a way that doesn't cause conflict so that all those years of really hard work you've put in to creating financial value, (laughs) financial wealth, we can at least sustain that and perhaps even grow it. But we need to get the whole family involved and figure out what people's interests are and what they're willing to do and what they want to participate in. Right. And that's a really great background and kind of sharing how you kind of got to where you are today. Now, it's my understanding that you kind of have your own most advising practice. Is it now you're out on your own kind of doing your own thing? Or could you kind of touch on where you are now in all that history that you built up to where you are today? What are the things that you're working on now and and kind of touch on that a little bit? Sure. Yeah. So one of the things that um, I I am on my own, I've been on my own for, I'm going to say about a year, but I started my own company this year just before COVID. Great timing. (laughs) But um, it's, there are a number of things that really drove me to to go out on my own. Um, Again, the, the idea of working in a billable hour kind of environment, even doing this kind of work is not conducive to this kind of work. Because you're working with the entire family, I can't have the parents saying, you know, don't call Cindy unless it's really important. Because if they want to call me or talk to me about something, then it's important enough. And so just still kind of the billing models and the tracking models in professional services firms isn't really conducive to doing this kind of work. And, you know, it's really 
important to me to be totally independent and objective. So I don't sell any product. I don't, I'm not tied to a financial institution where I, you know, there's an expectation that I'm going to bring in assets or sell insurance product or some other type of product. So being on my own, I'm able to really be 100%. I mean, my goal is to be 100% neutral. My recommendations aren't influenced by any other source of income that would come my way. I don't take a referral fee, anything like that. So I just charge on a pure fee for service basis. So that gives families, I think, an extra layer of confidence that my interests are 100% aligned with theirs. I want them to succeed and I want to give them the fullest range of options available. I can make recommendations. They can choose to follow them or not, but at least I'm not biased by what anybody else in my organization would expect from a deliverable or a sale, for example. Right. So now it sounds like you kind of made that transition to being on your own, kind of finding your own clients and going that route and really making a customized plan and an approach to dealing with their, their wealth management. So could you give some examples of who are the, the target groups that you look to work with and, and how do you serve them? What might that look like in terms of, we hear this word like wealth transition. Yeah. What does that mean? And how are you facilitating them? And, and well, first I'll rewind a little bit, like who are you targeting and who are you serving through these services? Okay. So the, I mean, who I'm targeting is ultra high net worth families. What does ultra high net worth mean for me? And like kind of a minimum I find is just around 20 million. The families I work with tend to be, have a higher net worth than that. Um, some much higher than that. Yeah. So, and where do they come from? Primarily word of mouth from other families that I've already worked with. And what's interesting actually is I'm finding the kids, like, you know, initially I'll probably come in through dad or mom and dad, but it's really the kids who are talking to others in their peer groups that say, oh, you need to do this because this has really helped our family. Because that, right, what we call the rising generation, they don't really know how to start having these conversations without sounding entitled or afraid of conflict. And so it's really rewarding to me to have sort of peer-to-peer referral that then bubbles up to the parents and I get a phone call. And sometimes I get from um, advisors as well, but it's starting to be more family-to-family referral. Yeah. And it's, I mean, these are all very important discussions to have and plans to have in place because... I mean, for example, I'm just thinking what this might look like. In my view here, like I live in the Fraser Valley, British Columbia. It's a big farming community and a lot of wealth is created by individuals that are farming, right? That have run family farms for years. And the biggest thing is how do you transition that? Who takes over the family farm? If somebody's not coming into the family farm, how do you allocate it amongst the family members and the next generation? So those are very important discussions to have and and planning to have in place for the business owner and the the parents, right? And and thinking about the next generation. So with that being said, there's a lot of, I would think a lot of soft skills involved in having those conversations, right? But also the Mm -hmm. the hard skills in in the financials and understanding like the complexities of tax analysis, the technical financial background. So can you talk about a little bit of having that blend and and how you kind of use those different avenues of soft and hard skills to actually help these families transition well? Yeah, no, that's a great, great question. And and I think, honestly, that's my secret sauce is being able to do that. And 
because of the background that I have, I'm able to do that again with a much, much broader lens than most other advisors, pretty much all other advisors in the space, because I've worked in accounting firms, in law firms, in big financial institutions, in small financial institutions. And I've sat on both sides, you know, many sides of this equation. But when I first, my very first engagement with a family really does follow what I call two prongs. And it is just almost as you've described, it's part of it is the technical piece. So I need to get all that information in front of me because I want the family to understand. So that so when I say all that information, I do want to look at wills, trust, shareholders agreements, powers of attorney, personal directives. I want to understand their, you know, insurance that they have in place, what their entire family enterprise looks like. And family enterprise would include personal real estate and commercial real estate you know, rental properties, uh, do they have a family foundation or a donor advised fund, all their investment portfolios, any deferred assets like insurance and annuities. And it's not because I'm going to provide any advice per se, but I want everybody to have that snapshot. And I'll work collaboratively with whichever advisors the client will, the family will allow me to, which hopefully is many and broad, uh, like the banker and the insurance advisors and the accountants and the lawyers, et cetera, so that I can ask questions about why maybe something was drafted a certain way or clarify, like in farming, for example, I've worked with a number of ag- agricultural families and they often don't know where the sec- which sections of land the, the uh, security is on. So it's easier for me to just go directly to the bankers and clarify that and understand what their valuations are that they're using for, you know, the line of credit or other debt instruments that they've got with the family. So that's one prong. And I also like to get the accountants to do an estimate of if you died now, understanding how all these documents actually work together, this is what it would look like. And in the last, I'm going to say 20 years, I've only ever had one family go, yeah, that's what we thought would happen because people do not understand their documents. And that makes sense, right? People don't understand how wills and trusts and shareholders agreements work together. This is just confusing stuff. And people, lawyers will explain that to them, but over time you forget. And often you do not have the same lawyer or even law firm doing your shareholders agreements, your trusts and your wills. In fact, you probably shouldn't because those are very unique and separate skills. But when they're done at different points in time, you end up with big gaps and it becomes like this Dr. Seuss house that's all kind of wobbly. And until it falls, nobody really knows what was the missing, you know, why it, it falls, then it's too late to do anything. So that technical side is really important. But then this more soft side, I actually spend one-on-one time with every family member and interview them usually for about two hours. And one of the very first questions that I ask families is, how do you define family? Who do you want to be in your family and who do you want to involve in this process? And so I encourage all adult children and their partners, whether they're married or have been in long-term common law relationships, to be part of this process in large part because people are going to talk about it anyway. And so I, I want to avoid the triangulation and the misinterpretation So, you know, I can explain this to you today, and then you can go and try and explain what I've talked to you about today to somebody else. It'll get garbled, right? 
because it's the first time you've heard it. So if you and I talked for two hours, imagine how garbled that would be to the next person you talk to. So I like to make that tent as open as possible. It's 100% in the client's discretion, but I do encourage as much transparency as possible. And then basically from those two steps, I develop an agenda for a full day family meeting that will include some basic education of key concepts that are relevant in this space and applicable to that specific family, and then do a review. Usually I'll be able to get an accountant or somebody on the more on the number side to come in and participate on the number crunchy kind of stuff. I'll do a high level review of the legal documents. And then I feed back to the family what I heard in the interviews. So I wouldn't say like Cindy said this and Marcus said that and Joanna said this, but really themes that I gleaned from having all these one-on-one conversations. And what that does then is it kind of rips the Band-Aid off. There'll be good stuff, but there's also usually some messy stuff because families are wonderful in their messiness, right? And that's part of this is to figure out, okay, you know, what do we really, really want to work on? And then the afternoon meeting, part of the meeting is really focused on that, them deciding what they want to work on and getting some action plans in place and figuring out resources, tools, budgets, and um, accountabilities to move the needle on those things because you can't boil the ocean. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Now, I think you had mentioned whether it was in your bio or through this conversation that you kind of work with family offices as Mm -hmm. well in this space. I mean, my perspective would be that a family office is kind of like set up as the group that's going to manage the family's wealth. Now, would they not be set up to, to work on this family transition themselves or how would you play a role in that? Do you, they need kind of a third party to kind of get involved to kind of look at it from a different perspective or kind of touch on how you might be involved with this process with a family office group? Yeah, thanks for that. That's a really, really good question. Rarely do family offices, in my experience, have a full-time person like me. And somebody recently described this really well who runs a family, a multifamily office. So there's the single family, even whether it's a single family office or a multifamily office. So this was a multifamily office. And he said, you know, we want to have somebody that we can bring in to work with our families. And I, he says, I liken it to a heart surgeon. Our families can afford to have a full-time heart surgeon, but I don't want the heart surgeon sitting around waiting for somebody to have a heart problem. I want the heart surgeon who's doing heart surgery every single day so that we can call and bring you in, right? So the family offices typically do, as you've said, manage the money, right? They manage the investments, they manage the accounting, they manage the reporting. But it is really helpful to have somebody who's completely independent of that whole dynamic to help pull all this together with the family dynamic piece, with the second prong, and even without fail, I have to say, when I've worked with family offices, single or, or multi, it would be really rare for me to not identify at least a handful of things that they, sh- they can consider in terms of some of the technical piece. And even more rarely does the sing- single or multifamily office really significantly engage with the rising generation other than as an information push. 
So they'll deliver some amount of disclosure on structures, et cetera, but they're not typically really strong in the area of facilitating the kind of conversations you really need to have to get to where the potential conflict is and where the real opportunity is to dream bigger, right? To look to what do we really want this wealth to do for our family, for this generation, for the next generation, for generations to come. Yeah. And that was a great analogy that you gave there about having a heart surgeon full-time on staff or kind of hiring the expert when they're needed, right? Because it, it doesn't make sense to have that heart surgeon on, on staff all the time. And you really want to deal with somebody that's an expert, just like if you're going to do a complex accounting issue or like you're not going to have some generalist that's going to, oh yeah, I can do this, this, and this and do it all. It's you're going to want to get consulting on, in, on an individual basis for specific items, right? And and go to the expert when they're needed, right? Yeah. So. I know you're kind of earlier in your, let's call it entrepreneurial journey, as you mentioned, you kind of started this, went out on your own just recently, and I'm sure you've had some challenges and let's say, let's drop a bomb here, like jumping in right, right as COVID hit, like that's a big enough challenge in itself, but where do you kind of see your practice going in the next number of years? Like, how do you see it progressing or what are some of the the items that you would like to see accomplished as you look to grow and, and scale and, and attract new clients and, and the groups you look. Yeah, it's so much fun. I mean, it really is an area that is of practice of consulting that is getting to be more well-known. And I think the challenge for me really is going to be managing client load because when I get involved with the working with a family, it's really rewarding. And, and, you know, some families I've worked with have 20 people that I'm working in in a family, others, maybe four, but it's still a big time investment. So I don't foresee concerns in terms of growth of the practice. Uh, Things are starting to pick up people. I think if anything, Marcus, uh, COVID has probably shaken a few people to their core on some of this stuff. They might not know exactly how to articulate it, but they'll have started to see cracks in the armor. And they've also probably started to see really rewarding things in terms of spending family time. And they want to curate that and say, "How how do we do more of that and make sure that we get to do this on a regular basis and not let it fall through the cracks again. So I think from an entrepreneurial journey, yeah, it is very rewarding work. I love the families that I have the opportunity to work with. I think people who are interested in this type of work really do need to find a more senior person to work with because you only learn this stuff over time. You have to be in the room with the families and having those difficult conversations. And as for me, I'm very fortunate to have people that have carved this path out before me who I can pick up the phone or, you know, send a quick email to and say, you know, I'm running into this. What do you think, you know, I might want to look at or can point me in the direction of some great assessment tools or something. And it's, it's a really fluid and growing and exciting area to be in. And I'm, yeah, super excited to be part of whatever that's going to look like over the next 10, 15 years anyway, you know? Yeah. And that's kind of the real trait of an entrepreneur is, is just having something, having a goal in mind and just building on it step-by-step, step, right? Like having a vision, but 
being willing to let the journey go as it kind of goes like that. There's going to be many twists and turns to the, the entrepreneurial journey. And, and I don't think it's going to be like, Hey, here's point A, here's point B. I'm going to get there in a very logical manner. I mean, case in point being dropped into the middle of a, this COVID, right? Like there's just so many factors that come into play that are going to affect businesses on a day-to-day basis. Right. And it, especially wealth planning, like somebody like you who can take a, a look at it from a, a broad perspective and, and tie in all the knowledge and experience that you've gained over the years and really provide insight to help families navigate those. Maybe they're turbulent times, maybe they're turbulent financially, or, I mean, there's so many family issues that can come up, right? Like relationships breaking down and then families fighting over who gets what and whatnot. So I really admire the work that you're doing. And I know you kind of alluded to the fact of like, hey, looking to the others that have done it before you, right? Like the people that have that you can reach out to with an email and or a phone call, right? It's it's really just having those mentors in place and people that have done it and, and you can lean on them to to gather like I'm faced with this, my my back's up against the wall. Like how do I get through this? And and just having the grit to push through it at all costs, right? So I kind of want to now move it into the final phase of the, the interview here where it's called the final four questions where you're just going to give short to the point answers. Hey. I know I didn't, I didn't prepare you for this one here, but let's see if you can come up with the one off the top of your head. But what is your favorite business book? Oh, right now it's Complete Family Wealth, which is, yeah, by Hughes, Mazenzio, and Whitaker. Great. So what is one thing you wish you knew when you got started in your career? How many twists and turns it would take and to just be okay with that. Great advice. So what's a daily habit that helps you be successful? I don't necessarily do it every day, but I do try to get out for a solid walk every day just to get my blood going. So 45 minutes to an hour. Yeah, that's such a great practice to have, right? Just getting the blood pumping and get some exercise. So when you're not working, what do you like to do for fun? Oh, I'm a yoga geek. I actually have my yoga teacher training certification, but it's been hard with all the studios closed and I love practicing with a group. So yoga. Great. So if any of my listeners want to learn more about you, get in touch or kind of learn what you're working on in your, in your business and uh, potentially even use your services, how would they be able to learn more about you or get in touch? Well, definitely I'm on LinkedIn. So just search Cindy Radu. So C-I-N-D-Y-R-A-D-U on LinkedIn. And I'm happy there's, it's way more extensive than my webpage in terms of some of the information. And I often post articles in, on LinkedIn. And then my webpage is really simple as well. It's cindyradu.com. Awesome. So yeah, Cindy, it was really great having you on the show today. I feel like we learned a lot about this industry, transitioning wealth, and grateful that you came on and shared your knowledge today. So yeah, thanks so much for adding some value and hope to talk to you again soon. Thank you. Good luck with your project. Thank you. Take care. Thanks for listening to the episode. If you enjoy the show, make sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on new episodes. If you enjoy the podcast or if it provides value in any way, be sure to leave a five-star review. This helps the show attract top quality guests who will be able to provide even more insight into having success in business.